So we are so glad, again, that you are worshiping with us this morning. We are going to start a message series that is called Back to the Future, hashtag Stop the Chaos. So I hope what you get out of the message today and uh, in a couple of weeks and then again on Christmas Eve is that there are timeless lessons and timeless principles that we can learn from the Christmas story. So we're going to look at what a few of those are. Today, we're going to start with one and then next Sunday... I really hope you won't miss worship. Uh, We are going to have the musical. Scott Cooper has written a new musical for us. It's about the 80s. And Scott was on Broadway uh, for a while. And he is so wickedly talented. And you do not want to miss it. We have lots of teens and kids and and adults in this musical next Sunday. So uh, I hope you'll join us for that. But before we uh, get into that, and so we walk away today with something that matters other than some really cool animals out front. I want us, uh, well, wait just a second. Uh, Do you see my title up on the screen? Okay. So like um, today I want you to like, let's just, let's luminate or ruminate, not luminate on that for just a minute. Um, Let's all just look at it for a second. Do you notice how Reverend and Doctor are big? Say yeah. Yeah. Okay, thank you, clap. I welcome all applause, actually, uh, this morning. Uh, Please clap for that. And if you know me at all, you know that really, uh, I would never in real life uh, want you to clap for that. And I don't even use the whole title in my name uh, on my email signature. It just says Andrea Smith, unless I'm trying to make a point with a business that is trying to take advantage of West. Like this week, I will not mention the company's name, but we had a few concerns with our copier. And it seemed that we had gone over our copier uh whatever allotment by a hundred percent. And so uh, we didn't budget for that. And so that made me a little frustrated. Dawn had tried to get some answers and just sort of gotten blown off. And so then I emailed and that's the only time unless, you know, like, uh, you know, somebody's trying to take advantage of us. That's the only time I use Reverend Doctor. And actually that has a point for the message today because you know what on the board that means zero. Now, uh, it means just a little in the fact that I want you to listen to me for the next 20 minutes, 15 minutes or so, Uh, but really past that, you know what? Any of you could stand up here and do what I do, if the truth be known. Uh, I'm a person that is passionate about the love of God revealed to us through Jesus Christ, and if you are passionate, you too could stand up here. You don't need a title. You don't need letters before your name or after your name to be able to, to share the message of hope that comes with Christmas. And that's one of, that's the lesson I want us to walk away with today, that everybody matters. Every person here, every person worshiping online uh, today or this week, everybody matters. So in order to, to share that point and show how that point is made repeatedly in scripture through the Christmas story, I want us to do something together. Here at West, one of our core values is fun. And so uh, you see the DeLorean. Do any of you know what this is? Uh, you can clap uh, if you know what this is. 
This is a DeLorean from the movie Back to the Future that came out in the 80s. And this is the car that they would use to go back in time or forward in time. And so this morning, I want, and for all the mornings in December, I want us to go uh, back in time to see what we can learn from the Christmas story that we can apply to our lives today. It's just a fun way of getting into the Christmas spirit. So, you know, in the movie, they had all these special effects and all that kind of stuff. We have not, we don't have that here. Uh, We have some special animals, but other than that, it's just what you see. And so I thought you guys, we could be the special effect this morning. So I want you to get ready and then I want you to use your lips and I want you to make a car sound, okay, for three seconds and then we're going to get into the timeless principle. Will you do that? I'm not going to ask you if you'll do that with me because then you're going to say no. And so uh, if you will, on three, just make a car noise with me and please don't make me be standing up here by myself, uh, doing it like a dummy. So, uh, ready? Uh, one, two, three. That's a pretty impressive car. I hope it gets better uh, in the weeks ahead. So, uh, here is our timeless principle. We are going to watch a clip from one of our worship leaders several years ago read a passage from the book of Matthew. Matthew was writing to the Jews to try to share with them that Jesus was who he said he was, the Messiah, the Savior, the light of the world. And so, I want you to think for just a second as you watch this, this clip, um, Do you know the names that are being used? And before we do that, I want you to, I'm going to ask you a crowdsourcing question. And sometimes at West, we do this and you clap for your response. If you don't know any of them, please don't be embarrassed. I'm going to ask you if you know three biblical names and I want you to clap if you've ever heard of them. Now, please know that you don't have to necessarily believe them or believe the story to clap. I just want to know if you've ever heard these names. Okay. So the first First one, clap if you've ever heard of King David. All right, very good. Uh, The second one, uh, Beelzebul. I wonder if I said that right. I don't think I did. Because you all clapped. And I'm going to let you know that my point was that you wouldn't have known the second name. So totally, I've forgotten it. So I know if I've forgotten, Beelzebub's like some kind of demon or demonic figure in a movie, Beelzebub or something. Um, so just forget that part. And uh, the third name would be Jesus. Have you ever heard of Jesus? Lance, uh, do you remember the title that I used this morning when we were practicing the message? Okay, good. If you don't remember it and I don't remember it, you're getting ready to hear it in the video. So I want you to think about how many of these names that you know or you remember. Take a look. Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac he had Jacob. Jacob, he had Judah and his kin. Then Perez and Zerah came from Judah's woman, Tamar. Perez, he brought Hezron up and then came. Aram, then Aminadab, then Nashan, who was then his adversary. With Rahab fathered Boaz. Ruth, she married Boaz, who had Obed, who had Jesse. Jesse, he had David, who we know as king. David, he had Solomon by Daniel, his wife. 
the man, well, you all know him. He had good old Rehoboam, followed by Abijah, had Asa. Asa had Jehoshaphat, had Joram, had Uzziah, who had Jonah, and Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Followed by Manasseh, who had Amon, who was a man, who was father of a good boy named Josiah. Father Jehoiachim, who calls the Babylonian captivity because he was a liar. Actually, that last part wasn't true, it just rhymed with the rest of the song. Then he had Shealtiel, who began to rub well, who had Abiyad, who had Eliakim. Oh, there we go, yeah. Eliakim had Azar, who had Zadok, who had Achim. Achim was the father of No, I don't. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, mother of Christ. So Matt came up with that song so that we could share with you the genealogy of Jesus, you know, which really is important. And if I had not said Beelzebul, you know, I would have used one of those obscure like Uriah names to ask you if, if you've heard of that. So this morning, the lesson that I want us to take away from the, the first book, the first gospel is that we all matter, but names and titles actually don't. Because here's the deal. So you have all those names. And honestly, it's 17 verses. Uh, well, there's 43 verses and 17 that like when churches use that scripture as a part of the reading for the Advent season, very few churches ever read all 43. Matt sang them so that we would not bore you to tears and so that I would not spend uh, three hours just trying to learn the phonetic spellings and then still getting them wrong because you know that I would. So um, the point is... So you have, you know, 43 verses of all these names, and they end up with Jesus. But you know the name of Jesus, but probably very few of us, unless you're a Bible scholar, would go through all of those, and even less of us would be able to recall more than 10 or so. And truthfully, most of us, we could hit the big ones, maybe Hezekiah, King David, Abraham. Uh, but, you know, past that... Who remembers? Obed? But the point of the story and the point of the Christmas story is that they all had a part. So like we wouldn't have a Christmas story if it weren't for all those names. But we don't remember them. So what does that say? And I want us to look at just for a second for the other characters in the Christmas story because you see, we have all those names in Matthew and one of the interesting things to note is that all four of the Gospels tell the Christmas story differently. If you read Matthew, you start with the genealogy. If you read Mark, it begins a very different way. If you read Luke, that's more of the traditional Christmas story that probably we're most familiar with. And then if you read John, it begins, uh, it starts within the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God and and there's no like uh you know sweet little baby Jesus so what do we do 
with all that? I mean, why are all the gospels different? And does it mean that any, they're all erroneous? The fact that they don't you, they don't say the same thing. And, you know, what we do when we get the nice nativity story that you'll see on Christmas Eve morning as we worship together, our kids will show us the nativity story. You're going to get a combination of all four because that's what you have to do to get the nice Christmas story that fits in a package. So what do we do with that? Well, I think if we will walk away with some of the principles that we learn from the Christmas season, then I think that's how we can have Christmas and the season of Advent make a difference in our lives lives, not just today, but every day and throughout the month of December and in the year ahead. So the principle that I want us to walk away with today is that uh, titles don't matter and names don't matter. That really what matters is that every single one of us, every person in this room, every person online, uh, we're all a part of a story. We're all a part of the story, the story of the universe, the story of love. And we each have a role to play in that story. And if we want to stop the chaos, if we want to quit getting, you know, so wrapped up in the, just the chaos and the craziness of not just the Christmas season, but of life, then what if we stop, you know, focusing and worrying on trying to get a title or trying to put some more letters behind our name or before our name or worrying about what others think of our name? And what if we spend more time thinking about where is our part in the story? And in order to do that, I think we have to recognize first that we are a vital part and a loved part of the story. And there's nothing that we have to do to earn favor in the eyes of God. God's not impressed with titles and God loves each of us. God knows us by name, but God loves each of us regardless of what our name is. But we spend a lot of time and and energy, you know, trying to focus on that name and making sure that it matters. Last year was the time that I was finishing my dissertation. Uh, It was due like December 20th or some insane day in the life of a clergy person. And uh, at the beginning of that, I was like, I am not, you know, I'm just not going to do it. Nobody will care. I can assure you, West, and this is a conversation I have with Scott and my advisor, uh, West will not care if I come back with the letters DR in front of my name. Nobody's going to care. In fact, if I don't write the dissertation other than the the leadership team, uh, probably nobody will know that I just totally dropped out because I didn't want to write the dissertation. And then a couple of folks said, you know, look, don't, don't give up now. You've spent a lot of money, blah, blah, blah. And my advisor said, if you'll just write a little every day, you'll be able to get finished. Now, last year, this time, I didn't think I would get done, but I did. And then, you know, there was the, the nice graduation, the pomp and circumstance, the cool hat with the little tassel and, you know, the big gown with the stripes on the side of the sleeve. And I'm going to let you know that I have used none of that since then. Now, Do I regret getting it? No, because frankly, I needed to finish a religious degree. And because of my path to ordination, it was convoluted and lots of different degrees. I already had a master's, blah, blah, blah. And you do not care about any of that. But what I'm telling you is the fact that I got the DR, uh, other than flashing it up there for you and make you fake clap for me, um, it, it has changed nothing in my life. Zip. What does change our lives 
is when we live each day, each day, each second of each day, just trying to be the best me or you that we can be, the best version of ourselves. No titles, not even worrying about names, just being the best us. And you know what? God uses that. Because on a night a couple of thousand years ago, this savior, this little baby came and it was not a silent night. We sing silent night and hold up candles in a few weeks and it's beautiful. It's a goosebump kind of moment. But guess what? I guarantee you in the cave that night, it wasn't quiet. Have you ever been around a newborn? It was chaos. But think about the beauty the beauty and the transformational things and world that came out of that chaos. So I ask you this morning, what what can we make out of the chaos of our own lives? Thinking about that idea that, you know, titles and, and names, you know, they're all equal. We're all equal in the eyes of God. So I gave you the names in in Matthew, you know, all the genealogy of Jesus that ends with Joseph and, you know, Joseph married Mary. But have you ever thought about the fact, and if you study those those verses of genealogy in Matthew, you're going to notice that even though Matt included some of the names of them, uh, there's only like one female name uh, in, in all those like you know, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. And that's how that reads, literally. Uh, there's only, you know, one, maybe two, if you get to the very end, names of females. But guess what? Unless I've missed something in biology 101, uh, it took two. I mean, they didn't just pop out of the sky with storks delivering them. It took two. But those names aren't in there. Does that mean that the people, that the women who gave birth to all those people, does it mean that they're not relevant? And does it mean that they're not, that they don't matter and that they're not part of the story? Absolutely not. They are just as important as all the other names that are listed there. Just because they're not in there does not mean that they don't exist. So how can that principle change how we live? Well, I think we live in a world where, you know, our names make a top 10 list or, or whatever kind of list, and then we get our self-esteem from that. What if we start deriving our self-esteem by knowing that we matter in somebody's life and in somebody's story? We matter. You matter. Your name doesn't have to be written in a big book to matter. Let me, let me promise you this. If you go, and I, this is not propaganda, this is not marketing, this is truth because I've seen it happen. If you go to the Uganda market in a little while and you purchase anything there... All of the money, because people have generously bought those items in Uganda and donated them. So 100% of the money is going to go, and I'm telling you, it will change a kid's life. They are no longer starving there. You know, seven years ago, when we first went and we saw their bellies distended, and these little boys walked around with shorts on, and the only 
the only material that was still on their shorts was around their waistband. And I mean, I giggle because it was so funny at the time but, and, and sad, tragically sad, and we didn't know what to do with it. The only material on their shorts was like a strip around their waist and like a few seams on the sides. There was nothing covering the front or the back. It's all they had. And that day as we stood in that field and, and we, we joined hands and we just prayed, okay, dear God, will you pour out your blessings on this land that Jeffrey has purchased out of his own money? And will you pour out your, your peace and your wisdom and your strength on him so that maybe someday, somehow, the hearts and minds of people will be opened and money will come to fund this vision that he has to stop children from dying from AIDS and to stop them from starving literally to death. And that will enable them to go to school and will enable them to have a roof over their head and will enable them not to be you know, gang raped as they walk through the village at night because they don't have anywhere to go. And lo and behold, you know, some stranger things, some miracles happened and people's hearts opened immensely and it happened and you can be a part of that in just a second. And you know what? It makes a difference. Are you ever gonna get like a plaque saying, I purchased a strand of garland at West United Methodist Church on December the 3rd and I changed a child's life? You're not. It doesn't matter. We've got all these names in the Bible that none of us really remember. But they were a part of the most beautiful story ever told. The story of not just one title, but lots of titles coming into the earth. Titles like Prince of Peace. And Wonderful Counselor. And Mighty God. And Emmanuel. And Savior and Messiah. And all those titles mean something different, and they each speak to us when we are in our darkest of moments. They they move into our lives if we'll ask, if we'll let them, and they change us. They hold us. They are the light that permeates the darkness that we get engulfed in when we're wrapped up in the chaos that we live in in this time. So the timeless principle is that, you know, for us, we're all the same. And we don't have to have our name listed in a book. You know, some of the most uh, powerful people in the story, key figures, we don't know their names. The innkeeper, it says innkeeper. That's all we know. Pivotal person, right? The, the kings, the wise men. I mean, they were like big time. And we don't even get their names. And truthfully, we don't even know how many there were. We know that there were three gifts given. And we've given the king's names, but they're not really uh, known. And we don't know how many kings really showed up. We've projected that into the Christmas story. And the shepherds, I mean, I don't know if there was a chief shepherd or there were all shepherds and they were just hanging out and then the angel appeared. We have no idea. Their names aren't mentioned. 
So in this story, in this Christmas story, we have both. We have both and. We have named people. We have unnamed people. And guess what? At the end of the day, no matter what their position was, no matter how powerful they were, no matter how well-known they were or not well-known, they come together and they make this beautiful story. And that's what we have. We are part of the beautiful story. And so guess what? You don't have to be LeBron James to make the, a difference in the life of a young man or a young woman at a community center that wants to play sports. And you don't have to be Adele to use your voice to make a difference. And, and you don't have to be J.K. Rowling and write you know, famous books to use a pen and a paper to send somebody a note that would make a difference. Every action causes somebody else's story to be different. I want to think about that for just a second. Every one of our actions, every single one, calls somebody else's story to be different. When I went before the Board of Ordained Ministry to get the other title in front of my name, Reverend, uh, you have to go before this board, you have to write about 70 I guess, 70 pages of papers and then go and they, uh, for about an hour and a half, ask you questions about all the papers. And it's around four different areas. Your call and discipline life, you know, like how do you take care of yourself? What, what is your integrity? I mean, they're testing us for character and integrity because that's a big deal. You can know all the Bible stuff you want to, but if you're not a person of integrity, they don't want you to be a United Methodist pastor. And I totally affirm that. So you've got call and discipline life, how well you do or do not preach, and then your theology, you know, are you United Methodist? Because it's a, it's a big deal to be United Methodist, and I love that because our theology is so powerful. We believe that everybody is a child of God, and everybody is recipient of God's grace. We are a denomination founded on grace, so I'm unabashedly proud to be a United Methodist. And so you go before this Board of Ordained Ministry, and it's nerve-wracking, it's off-putting, and then you finally get through it. So I went for my interview. It was right after we got back from the Holy Land and sat around the table, a little not clear cognitively, but was trying to do my best. And it was going okay. I mean, it wasn't stellar, uh, you know, but it was okay. West, the model of West was a bit different for them. Like four years ago, it's not so different anymore. But back then it was. And so there were a lot of questions about why we don't do some of the things that we do. And then, you know, they had a few questions about uh, some of our core values, went through those. And then at the very end of the interview, I mean, it's an hour and a half later, I'm thinking that maybe I might have made it through okay, and I had already decided on that one. If I didn't pass this time, I am done, because I, I can't, couldn't do it again. And um, it may make you think I'm a quitter. I generally am not just on writing papers. That's when I quit. Uh, so I don't quit. I'm you know, pretty tenacious in other ways. But so we're sitting there. It's, it's, I'm thinking it's all good, you know? And then this one pastor who is very renowned in our conference, he is a very wise and smart man. He had been on my district committee for years. I knew him. I knew he asked hard questions and he had over the years not particularly cut me a lot of slack and grace in these interviews. And so, um, he started to talk. And my stomach clenched, I was nervous, and he said, um, did God predict the cross? I have absolutely. 
no idea. I mean, I know that in the Gospel of John, it says in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God. And then we know in the garden, you know, and you don't care about all that theology, so I'm not gonna walk you through my answer right now. But the point is, I had a little answer, but I did not have a big you know, theological, I can quote, you know, Kierkegaard on did God predict the cross? And so I muddled through just a little and then I said, you know what, I'm just gonna be absolutely honest with you. I have no clue. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I know that Jesus says some things that help us infer that maybe God can predicted the cross, but I don't know if he predicted it. And that's the only answer I have. Well, with my luck, that was the last question. And they said, well, thank you for your time. Bye. I wept all the way home. I went to lunch with a friend, wept through the whole thing, talked to Amy Coles, wept through the whole thing. I mean, I knew that I had blown it with the last question because I didn't know the answer. And I still to this day, like when I ask him, hey, What's your thoughts on did God predict the cross? Now, this year at annual conference, that's the yearly preacher meeting where we all get together at Lake Junaluska and we do the business and we worship together. I am on the worship committee. And so we're responsible for planning all the worship services that happen at annual conference because I knew that our structure uh, here at West would probably not lend itself to annual conference worship. I did not volunteer to plan a worship service. I said that I would be the stage manager, which frightened all of the West staff because they know my lack of attention to detail, but I thought, how hard can it be? And truthfully, I mean, you're just, I've renamed the position and title because I don't care about fancy titles and I call it stair, uh, chair girl. I'm just chair girl because that's all you do. You just make sure that whatever worship service is getting ready to come up, you have enough chairs on the stage. And it changes a lot. Like one time you have 40, one time you have seven, and they don't want extra chairs. I don't know why, but they don't want any extra chairs. So I named it Chair Girl, which meant that I got to be on stage, you know, at annual conference and stuff. And that's pretty cool because, you know, I'll never make it up there any other way. And so Oh, that's true. And so um, I'm up there doing the chairs and this guy, this pastor that was on the board of ordained ministry, he is now a DS, a district superintendent. That means like a boss, like to pastors. And he's getting ready to be a DS, you know, and they'd already announced them and we prayed over them and stuff. So it was really cool. And, and I wanted to congratulate him because I do think he's a really good leader and wanted to say congrats. So he was coming up on the stage as I was being chair girl. And I went up to him and I said, you know, hey, uh, I know you you don't have any clue who I am. And he goes, oh yeah, I know who you are. And then he told me my name. And I'm thinking, oh, I bet you do know who I am because I totally screwed up that whole, you know, did God predict the cross thing? And I started to say, yeah, from that. And then he interrupted me and he said, I'll never forget how you told me that I helped you be a person of integrity. I'm like, what? And he said, well, years ago during your Board of Ordained Ministry interview for the district, I asked you how you were taking care of yourself. And that was the year that West was like six months old, nine months old, I don't know. I was absolutely overwhelmed and sort of like this past week, did lots of things stupid and uh, 
forgot my committee time and had to crawl under the door so they wouldn't see that I got there a day early and, you know, like stupid things like that. And the next day when I finally went for my interview, they asked me what I was doing for self-care and was I honoring the Sabbath and keeping it holy? Well, I don't lie. So I just sat there and said, you know, no. And then I gave them a million reasons why I was not keeping the Sabbath. And this pastor looked at me and said, how can you be a person of integrity in the pulpit? And that's like the preacher thing that in a traditional church, a pastor stands behind. How can you be a person of integrity in the pulpit if you do not practice what you ask the people that you are charged to pastor to practice? How are you a person of integrity if you're not doing that? And I was like, I guess I'm not. I mean, that's gut-wrenching for me because my integrity is pretty much what I'm hanging on. And so I wept all the way back to the church, told Rob what had happened, and he's like, you know, just do a better job. Just focus on it. Try to not get so wrapped up in all the stuff. Well, the next year, when I went back before the district, we had one-on-one interviews that time. And it was he and one more pastor in a room with me for an hour. And he said, how are you honoring the Sabbath and keeping it holy? And I told him about the changes that I'd made. And I told him, honestly, you know what? If you'd not called me out, I probably would have not done anything different. And I'm not sure I could have maintained the stamina that I've got right now in ministry. And he said, that's right, because it's not a, a dash, it's a marathon. And you need to take care of your soul. And I said, thank you. I don't know how many years ago that was, but it was a while back. That's what he remembered. Not that I totally flubbed up the Board of Ordained Ministry question. He remembered that I told him that he was a part of my story. Every one of you sitting here right now You are a beautiful child of God that is a part of lots of different stories. And it doesn't matter if you're anonymous or if your name's written down with a lot of other names. It doesn't matter how many titles you have after your name or before it. You are a child of God and you are a vital, vital part of the story. Don't ever forget that, especially in the chaos of the Christmas season. So now I invite you to go and be a part of a universal story. We at West do believe that there is a story and we see that story through Jesus Christ. We also recognize that there are many in this world and in this universe that see God a different way and we believe in Jesus Christ. But as United Methodists, we respect other world religions. We follow Jesus, so don't go say, she said we didn't follow Jesus. I do believe we follow Jesus, but we respect 
affect others. So one of the coolest things is going to happen tonight at 6.30 p.m. at Ghostface. We have a lady from Charlotte that is a part of a Buddhist community. And she is going to come share with us what they do during Christmas and what Christmas means to them. So if you want to check out Crafted Conversations, it's tonight at 6.30 as we enter into the Advent season. Now go and, and get a calendar, do lots of really cool things this month. Go see the buffalo and the camel and have your photo made and go visit the Uganda market. Go be a part of the universal story. Uh, Happy Advent.